Welcome to the Stream Roots Podcast, where you'll learn how God's unchanging truth can be applied in our ever-changing world. Through conversations with pastors and ministry leaders, you'll be encouraged, equipped, and challenged in your walk with Christ. Stream Roots is designed for pastors and leaders in the church, but is helpful for all people. And now your host, Pastor Mark Pospisil. So glad to have you join us for this episode on assessing and healing the heart of your church, part two. Part two. Part two. All right. This is our second part here with Dr. Kenneth Quick from Blessing Point Ministries. Go back and listen to part one if you haven't. With me is my friend and producer of Stream Roots, the John Blosser. What's up, buddy? Great to see you again, John. You too, man. Yeah. Uh, so before we jump into this discussion, I do want to read for us from God's word because we talked about assessing the spiritual health of your church a lot of the, on the first part, but now we're going to talk about how to how God wants to heal, how how the Holy Spirit helps heal our church, how Jesus gives us ointment and the things that we need. And I want to read for us from a famous passage in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter three. Uh, Jesus is addressing the church of Laodicea, and here's what God's word says in Revelation three verse fourteen. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. And this is God's word. What a great passage, a famous passage from Revelation chapter three of assessing the health of that local church, not just of an individual, but of the whole church. And then Jesus giving them a clear way of how to experience the healing that he wants to bring to them by the power of the spirit. And so, uh, Dr. Quick, I want to come in here. In what ways does the Lord work to heal our local churches? You've been in the front lines of this. You experienced this. You've seen this. In what ways does God do to do that, does the work to heal our churches? It's uh, interesting. One of the things that, uh, again, when we first started this ministry, we didn't come in with kind of clarity about all these things. We were... Uh, uh, in a very real sense, flying by the seat of our pants. Um, we uh, There was not anything written that we could kind of follow. And we were, we, we just knew, I knew what I had done in my church in Toronto. Um, I told you about a uh, hundred people. Let me, let me unpack a little bit of that. And, and what I learned there just started me down a path of kind of that, that became uh, what Blessing Point is now. But uh, 
when we walked, I, I took our board and as I was learning these things, and actually I learned them in the process of doing marriage and family therapy, uh, kind of went through my own personal history, uh, you know, and did a kind of family tree, what is called in, in um, you know, kind of family systems uh, approach to marriage and family therapy called a genogram, which is an emotional family tree where you just look at the relationships of people going back multiple generations that help you understand kind of the patterns in your own life. And as I worked through that, I really saw Christ bring healing to a number of very broken things from my own background. And I don't know where I was when the thought struck me, but I do believe it was the spirit of God that that impressed this upon me, that uh, it, it just came in the form of a question uh, is this true at the church level? Because again, family systems, it's much more about the system, the whole family uh, kind of operating as a whole rather than as individuals. Individuals, uh, if there's a dysfunctional kind of family, an individual is caught up in that dysfunction and can't necessarily escape it. Um, so, and and we know even biblically that that's genetically true so abraham had a problem with lying as did isaac as did jacob and it seemed to expand with the passing generations a lot of times these things get themselves locked into families and and get passed on so i identified a lot of that and really kind of worked to by by just the work of the spirit of god in my own heart uh to break a lot of the, the strongholds that I had, and I just asked the question, is this true at a church level? And again, I didn't know, uh, you know, because it, it seems like churches are families and they have histories and and stuff happens in that history. Do they carry that stuff unless it's dealt with? And uh, so I got my board together. Uh, we had a, an elder board and an admin board and my staff. And we met, we walked through the history of the church and we came to that split, that ugly, bloody split um, that kind of ripped the fabric of our church totally apart. And we found out kind of, we had original documents about what happened there. And uh, we told that story uh, on the weekend where we were kind of walking through this and found out that, that there were things that uh, we really felt like we needed to address the spirit of God was just impressing upon us. We need to reconcile with these people that split off with us, not to get them back, but because this wound exists in the body of Christ. And, and our church was really responsible uh, in a sense. Its leadership was responsible for inflicting that wound. And a lot of people left our church wounded. Um, and so we need to do something about that. So we uh, had a, um, we went to the church that uh, those hundred people went to, and, and a part of that hundred people was the whole church choir, save one woman. Our church, uh, again, a church of 500, back in the time when choirs were, were a big thing, had a choir of about 45, 50 people, <laughs> and 44 of them left. Wow. And went to this other church. There was just one woman left that stayed in the church 
but uh, where, so just so you understand kind of how the church felt about this, the one Sunday, they're our choir, they leave, and the next Sunday, they're this church's choir of 44 people. What? And so they're now singing in that church as their choir. And so that, when when people talked about that, they talked about it with gritted teeth. That just made people so angry that, you know, that, that we would lose this. Um, but so we were carrying that, even though that happened now, at that, at that point, it had been 17 years, but it was still talked about through gritted teeth. So uh, we decided we had to go to that church and look to reconcile with that church. We felt like that's really what the Spirit of God was telling us to do, what Christ was saying we needed to do. And we had no idea whether that would work. Uh, we weren't. We, we just felt like we had to do it. So we did. We went and on a good, we had a good Friday service. Uh, very interesting that the timing of it worked out, that we, we arranged it around a good Friday service. And it was an extraordinary event. Uh, and, and we find now that when we do this in a church, uh, when a church goes through kind of addressing what Christ wants them to do in a public manner, they're extraordinary events. And this certainly was one. That church was so packed with people. There were pe- This was like Easter time in Canada. Um, there were no seats left in the sanctuary. They had set up all the chairs that they had. Those chairs were full. There were people sitting on the floor under the coat racks out in the, out in the foyer. Uh, that was the only place left to sit. It's like Christ invited, attracted all these people to come to this service. And uh, we had our choir sing instead of the, the that church's choir. We uh, we had our choir sing, and the woman who's uh, the only woman that was left from our from the choir that split, uh, her son played the piano. So there was kind of symbolism there, and uh, and we knew what we were doing. I mean, we had, we we told the church exactly what we were going to be doing, and so they all understood it. And then I preached a church that uh, preached a message that that was uh, by his wounds we are healed, mm. and just talked about the need for for corporate healing, and we needed to take responsibility for things that happened in the in the history that may have wounded many of the people that uh, were present in this church and their and their offspring, and we were there to take responsibility for that. So we did all that, and now we had no idea what was going to happen. But I got my first indication when I was driving out of the parking lot that day with my wife. Um, there was an elder and his wife, uh, and he was an older guy, probably in his mid-70s or so. He was walking hand in hand with his wife back to his car, and he waved me down as he saw me pulling out. And so I rolled down my window, and he said, Pastor, he says, i got to tell you. We spoke to some people today that we hadn't spoken to in 17 years and 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 made things right. And we thought, wow, because they were some of the people who spoke through gritted teeth when they described what oh, happened. And uh, and so we came back to our church. Now you have to know kind of what our church was like. Uh, our choir was a hotbed of hostile feelings. And I never understood it. It was like uh, 
they used to sit back behind me, you know, uh, in the choir loft. And it was like they were daring people to enjoy worship. Um, <laughs> they, they, they just did not, you know, if you look like you were enjoying yourself, that was, you got glared at. And, uh, and it was just a, an attitude that was so negative. All of a sudden, from that, from the reconciliation service onward, like the choir transformed, like filled with joy, and these people are smiling. It's like, what on earth happened that that you would see this corporate response? The same thing happened with the spirit in the church. Um, you know, it just it was like everything had been lifted off the church that they were carrying, and you know, we had no idea this was going to happen. Now we were so beat up as staff that. Truly, we like couldn't function for close to a year, even after this event. So what our staff meetings comprised of was we'd come together and people would just report the things that they were seeing God do. Mm-hmm. Like we, we, we didn't have the strength to do anything, but they were watching God do things in, in all the levels of our church. Um, and just God thing after God thing was occurring. All of which we felt like we weren't produ- we weren't trying to produce. They were, they were just happening. So we saw kind of the repercussions of what Christ can do when we do what we're supposed to do. The hard things, taking responsibility for wounding those people uh, and and owning that. Even though we, you know, I wasn't present when that happened. That was like two pastors before, but. I took responsibility for what had happened for, you know, for what pastors had done and how they had treated them and, and certainly had, had what was part of our, our church's history. And the result was Christ cleansed our body. So it wasn't an individualist. It, it impacted every individual, but it was a corporate cleansing uh, as we repented of this stuff that had gone on. And the impact was an ongoing impact. Close to, I, I wouldn't call it a revival. I'd call it a renewal. Mm. We experienced a, a spiritual renewal that was that was ongoing. Again, when I left three years later to go teach at the seminary, it was still happening. Um, so it was it was profound. Now, again, what we have learned is that when a church does this. We have seen this happen over and over and over again. Um, and it doesn't matter how awful the history was. Um, there was a church not too far from here that I did an interim pastor in. And when they went through their history, I, when I took an interim, took an interim even as a seminary prof, I'd, I'd do interim ministries. But I'd always say you have to agree to go through a healing the heart of the church process. Uh, that's the deal if you have me as an interim. And so churches gulp usually. <laughs> Don't know what that means, but okay, if you say we got to do that, we'll do it. Um, when this church went through its history, uh, their last pastor, or the two pastors actually before the one that most recently left, they called, they called me to, to be the interim after, um, he had what he called a stable of women <laughs> in the church uh, that he was having affairs with. 
multiple women, close to probably uh, 15, 16 women. Oh, my gosh. If you can imagine that kind of corruption. Um, and then he was there. He was a charismatic communicator, a uh, charismatic little C, um, just dynamic preacher, but had this corruption in his life. So when he left, uh, the the board was the search committee, and they looked at each other, and they thought, who are we going to get to, you know, come to this church now having that kind of guy previous to, you know, you know, they had no idea what they needed to do about it. They fired him when they found, when the stuff broke. And, uh, and so they looked around their board table and there was a guy that taught at a Christian school. And they said, John, he had preached a couple times for the pastor, you know, when the pastor was on vacation and they knew he could preach. And they said, John, are you willing to come and kind of, uh, take over uh, the pastor. He says, well, let me pray about that. He came back and he said, sure. And because they knew him, and because he had preached there before, they didn't check references. Because if they had gone to that Christian school <laughs> and asked for, you know, uh, how does the Christian school kind of evaluate this guy, they would have found out that they had restricted his relationship with the females at the school. Um, because of things, some questionable things that had gone on. And he was there probably six, seven years, and somebody walked in on him and the church secretary one day oh. in, in a compromising position. And so I came the week after they dismissed him as the interim pastor. Now you think, okay, they've had two experiences of pastors with moral corruption of almost unspeakable kind. How did the church get over that? How does the church heal from that? And we watched Jesus help this church address that stuff honestly, openly. They took responsibility of the elders for not protecting the flock. Uh, those guys, those men wept before their congregation. And, and we have what we call a solemn assembly and and own kind of their failure uh and and sought forgiveness they invited people back that had left as a result of this people came back to the church and they confessed them uh they even took the step of inviting they felt like they had made evangelism hard for other churches in the area that found out about this corruption uh, of their pastors, and so they asked representatives of other churches in the areas to come to the solemn assembly, and uh, and they confessed to them that uh, that they had made preaching hard because uh, preaching the gospel hard because people could point to their church and say, you know, are you guys like them? Uh, you know, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Um, so uh, they did all this and. <laughs> I mean, only Christ could do this, but he healed them. Mm. And uh, he healed that church. And they, again, experienced a lot of the exact same things we did up in Toronto. Well, the, you know, uh, we have no magic wands at Blessing Point. We, 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 there's no fairy dust here. Uh, it is hard, hard work on uh, leadership's part to address things that may have happened historically. 
But if you do, if you listen to what Jesus is saying and you take responsibility for the stuff he points out by the spirit that you need to, there's nothing. And I'm convinced of it now. There's nothing he can't heal. There's nothing he can't heal uh, that has taken place in the church. So that's uh, that's just two stories of many now that we have really that we've seen. Um, We have some of the on the website, uh, blessingpoint.org website. Uh, We have stories of ministry healing. Um, A little uh, section of the website and you can read just some of the uh, more significant stories of ministry healing. One's being made into a documentary. That's uh, one that took place in Birmingham, Alabama, um, where that was a racial one uh, that, uh, you know, again, just kind of stuff that happens in the South sometimes. Um, But uh, this was a church just down the street from the church that was bombed uh back in the civil rights era and uh, dr martin luther king was coming into town uh and he was going to preach in that church but because it had been bombed he showed up with his kind of entourage at this church instead and he was met at the door with deacons who were carrying guns and told he was not welcome in the church and from that moment on that church experienced all sorts of painful stuff um just decade after decade since then um divisions of all kinds and finally the just in the last probably six seven years the the leadership kind of recognized that you know we've had pain in our church for decades and they went through the history and they found out these events that actually triggered all of it. Uh, they didn't have it before. That's what the, usually the way it works when you go through the history, you find a moment, uh, what we call hinge moment, where a, a choice is made, a decision is made, an action is taken, um, that from that point on, the church is under corporate discipline. So I'll be quiet now and let you, you probably got a ton of questions and I, I will let you kind of dig away at any post holes you want to dig. Yeah. So part of the healing process, you see this with churches and, and, you know, we all, we all need a God's a redemptive God. So those are awesome stories. I love hearing that. But part of the healing process is going to have to be repentance, right? You know what I'm hearing you say, you know, it's got to be, the acknowledgement of that sin, there's got to be a repentance and a turning of that. Um, and then, and then you got to make restitution where you can make restitution in, in people's lives. It sounds like when he invited that other church at the choir and all that stuff, um, just how God was working through that. Would, would that, would, would you say that, right, you know, repentance and restitution would be the two big things there to help churches heal? Yeah. And, and, but you can't do it. Uh, uh, what shall I say without, uh, a real good historical assessment of exactly what it is. And this is where uh, the, the, the idea of the eighth letter is really critical. 
uh, and and the involvement of the body in it, where you go through the history to discern what Jesus is saying. You don't want to be repenting for stuff that Jesus isn't talking about. And a lot of times, you know, you people nowadays uh, often think, you know, what possible good could come from digging up some of that old, ugly stuff? They just think that all this is going to do, you know, there's just no good that's going to come from doing it. And uh, so it takes courage on the part of leaders to actually want to find out what has happened in our history. And is there something that Jesus has had us under discipline for that we got to find out what we have to do to make it right? And again, you don't want to be guessing about that. You want to have clarity about that. And that's where we think that the spirit has been provided to help. Uh, but he comes, he speaks through all the gifts. And so it's not just one person's gift and it's not even through a small group's gifts. Uh, we believe it's through the body's gifts of people who are wanting to to give input. Um, not everybody will come, but but. You know, when we do a church, uh, we usually get a third to a half of, of the people who will show up for the retreat where we walk through the history. And when we come to a painful moment, we get everyone to, to share what their spiritual, you know, what their spiritual gift is prompting them to, to give input on. And not everybody speaks, but but the people who speak usually are giving dramatic information. Give you another really quick story. Uh, how much time we have? We got time. Okay, another really quick story. Uh, just how this works. Um, there was a church in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. Uh, yeah, Groundhog Day uh, 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 fame, and uh, we uh, were on a fr- we deal with uh, retreat on a Friday night and all day Saturday, and we were at the end of kind of the early. Uh, era of this church, which had been in existence for for close to 100 years. Um, But uh, they were talking about the move that their church had made. They they had had a conflict with a pastor over this move. They had hired this guy because he had a background in construction engineering before the Lord called him to ministry. So they wanted him to kind of help build the new church. And uh, so, but, but, they had had issues with their previous pastor that they had not reconciled. And so that was brought into their relationship with this guy and they gave him a horrible time. But one of the things that as they built this new building, uh, they had done perk tests and everything about the water level in the church and everything that once they got this building really kind of built up and moved into it, there was seeping on one of the basement walls that mildewed and stank. It just smelled really bad. And so anytime these guys were, and and, and they were really angry at this pastor who they thought had tried to cut a corner and not either, uh, you know, made sure that the uh, bricks or the concrete was, was tarred and waterproofed and everything. And he says, no, I did all that stuff, but it didn't matter because this thing, you know, continued to stink. Anytime they walked in the basement, they smelled this stuff. 
for years. They so had this basement scene. So they're telling this story on Friday night. And uh, one of the things we encourage churches to do is to have their teenagers come and witness this event, this, this historical retreat, because they're going to see the church operate in ways that will actually make a lot of biblical sense to them. They think, if they, you know, if they've ever been to a regular church business meeting, they go, Ugh. you know, is God in this, you know, but when they do th- these historical retreats, um, they find that this, the spirit of God is working in a very powerful way. And again, we don't make that happen. That's just the spirit of God doing what the spirit of God does. And uh, we facilitate. So we're there and we're saying, OK, uh, you know, we've learned, uh, you know, kind of as facilitators that when you have something like that mildew and every time they walk down in the basement, they're smelling this stuff. And every time they smell it, they're getting angry. Uh, that that's that's symbolic. That's the kind of thing that Jesus does to get a point across. So we stop when when we hear a story like that, we stop and we say, okay, what is Christ telling you all through that? If we just assume that, you know, he could have stopped that at any point, that mildew at any point, and he didn't, what would he be speaking to you about? Do that. And so they spent a half hour and they went around. Everybody was kind of, I think it's this, I think it's that. And one of the things we learned to listen to is listen for is what we call resonance. Resonance is where the body responds kind of together. Oh, that's it. And that's one of the things we really look for to kind of affirm that this is Jesus speaking. Uh, we look for that kind of corporate, oh, that's that's what Jesus is saying. It's like everybody kind of hears it at the same time, and, and there's a corporate response. So they went around for a half an hour, people pausing things, that there's absolutely no resonance. And people are getting frustrated. I mean, and we're, we're accustomed to that, too. <laughs> there are moments of frustration that people can't kind of get to what Christ is saying. So they're getting more and more frustrated. And finally, I see in the, the back, there are probably about 40 people in the room and a whole group of teenagers. And there's this one teenage girl that's sitting next to her mom. And I see her kind of put her hand over her mouth and whisper to her mom. At which point her mom stands up and said, my daughter just thinks she heard from the spirit what this was about. and when she shared it, it was like there was a corporate, it's like this intake of breath in the whole room. Everybody kind of, like, that's it. This is what Jesus is saying. And so Jesus, just like, and again, you just need to see what, what we have seen. Uh, this is just like Jesus would do it to a church that kind of is, you know, thinking that the men are in control and, and, uh, they're the ones that get the message and, and uh, you know, only they are the ones that, you know, they're, they're the only ones that, that can hear from Christ. So he gives the message to a, a ninth grade teenage girl. And that's what they needed to hear. As soon as she said it, I think Jesus is saying this to us. And the mother announced it. It was like everyone knew that was it. Now, 
again, we don't make that stuff happen, but when we witness it, we think, oh my goodness, this so clearly the way Christ would handle this, try and teach this church, you know, how he made them to work. And, uh, and so that really unlocked the rest of the weekend for them. Like once they understood what that was about and how that was a discipline, a symbolic discipline of Christ, that what they were doing was stinking up the place. Um, they knew then what they had to do to make things right. So uh, that again is just a, an illustration of of the kinds of things we see. And again, we can't program it. We don't try to make it happen. We go in with as blank a slate as we can make it uh, to to a church and just help them try to hear what the spirit is saying to the church. And it's amazing what happens when when they do that. Awesome. Yeah, God is a healer. He's a redeemer. He wants to work this out wherever our wherever our churches are, wherever we're at, whether we're a leader, pastor, a member, a ministry leader, whatever it is. Uh, it's a corporate thing. We're the body of Christ. So, uh, Dr. Quick, I want to thank you again for your time and insight here. We'll have the resources you highlighted last week on our show notes as well for this week. But again, Blessing Point Ministry is the, he's a consultant for Blessing Point Ministries. You can learn more there. Highly recommend doing the church scan assessment. It takes 10 minutes, which is not much time at all. And not it's much time at all. Really insightful. And you never know what God can do through that. So uh, I want to sign off here. Stream Roots is a production of Barnabas Ministries. You can learn more at barnabasministriesmi.org. If you find this podcast helpful we encourage you to leave a review or rate it or subscribe and even tell a friend it allows us to get god's word out to more and more people and we would be grateful if you did we release an episode every monday morning stream roots drawing deep from the living water of god's word